so the unveiling of Jesus Christ has sort of a double meaning. It's the revelation which comes from him and the revelation which is about him. So we're in chapter 19. Uh, begin in chapter 11. We um, did this last week and stopped short of, of going all the way to the end. So today we will, um, Lord willing, get to the, the end of this particular verse. Um, passage. Before we go to his word, let's go to him in prayer. Our most gracious, loving Heavenly Father, again, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the time that we're able to come together in um, worship and, and, and sit under your word as an act of worship so that we not only are just um, being fed, we're not a performance and audience, but we are the performers and you are um, the audience. And in this particular aspect of our worship, uh, we give you our worship by acknowledging that it is your word we need, that we sit and listen to your word read, sung, preached, prayed, and we participate in this. We now participate in this part of your worship by um, working hard to get rid of the distractions we'll have, um, any sort of strange things that I might say that might be distracting, Lord. We pray that people would be able to quickly get back to focus Pray that um, everything that is said and the application we have it to our hearts will be um, in the power of the Holy Spirit, that your unction, your anointing will fall upon all of us this morning um, as you promise to bless the preaching and hearing of your word, that your word will not return void, but it will accomplish the things that you have for it to accomplish, the same sun that hardens the clay melts the ice. So we pray that your work of um, building and causing repentance and even bringing life would take place for us this morning. We pray your blessing again upon the preaching and hearing of your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So Revelation chapter 19, I'm just going to read this passage again, chapter uh, verses 11 through 21, the word of the Lord. <clears throat> then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and the one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings, Lord of Lords. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun, and with a loud voice he called to all the birds that fly directly overhead, Come, gather for the great supper of God, to eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses and their riders, and the flesh of all men, both free and slave, both small and great. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth with their armies gathered to make war against him who was sitting on the horse and against his army. And the beast was captured, and with it the false prophet, who in its presence had done the signs by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped its image. These two were thrown alive into the lake of fire that burns with sulfur, and the rest were slain by the sword that came from the mouth of him who was sitting on the horse. And all the birds were gorged with their flesh. The word of the Lord. So again, 
particularly in this section of Revelation, if you just sort of let it come to you in the way it's given, um, like a, a child reading a, a, a storybook that's filled with um, pictures and images, you know what the bad guys are and who the good guys are. You can tell what's happening. Uh, sometimes I believe as we try to do particularly with the book of Revelation, a lot of interpretive work as we're just listening to it. Who is this? What's that? How is this happening? Who is this? Is this that guy? Stop it. (laughs) When you're reading the Bible, sometimes it's best just to read it and just let it speak. I I tell sometimes, I used to, my my grandparents, I'd visit my grandparents in Manning and um, we'd spend the night there and they, every night they'd have a Bible reading. They'd just sit and read the Bible. They didn't get it out because the grandkids were over. They did this all the time. It's what they would do before they went to bed. This, my grandfather would always pray after this. He would start his prayer, Our most gracious and loving Heavenly Father. It's just become the way I pray. He would also add in his prayer, Watch over us this night that we might awaken to another day tomorrow to learn more of God's Word. I didn't live with them. We just visited them. And I've learned that prayer because every time we'd go and spend the night, it was prayed along with other things in between those things. But the reading of the Word of God always happened. And I remember particularly, I I don't remember any of the Bible readings except for one, which is in Leviticus, and something about touching a dead person and you become unclean, somebody with running issues, and that's unclean. It's like, I was like, oh, this is is nasty. And at the end of the the Bible reading, there was no great um, interpretations or applications or, you know, now, John, don't go touching dead body. You know, there's nothing like that. It was just close it and now let's pray. That was it. Read it, prayed, and they went to bed and we stayed up. <laughs> so um, I think a lot of parents and grandparents fail to do that type of work because they think they're not equipped. I don't know enough about it. If you can read then you read it. And you don't have to read a lot of it, read a little bit of it. You don't have to feel the need to explain it. The Word of God will do its work. It's not that you don't teach, but there are times when it's perfectly fine just to read it and listen to it and allow the Holy Spirit to give application. Just like with this. I saw heaven open and behold a white horse. All right, and we get the feeling. They even, English, they even stuck an exclamation point in certain translations. You know, you get it. This is good. The one sitting on it is called faithful and true, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. Hmm, is that a bad guy or a good guy? Good guy. You know, and you know, it's like Jesus. So this is like, okay, this is, this is what's happening. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. Well, wait a second. That's not the way Jesus works in my mind. Jesus is gentle and easy, and he doesn't do these things. This is crazy talk. That's Old Testament God. What's he doing back again? (laughs) It's like, okay, maybe we need to fix a little bit of our uh, interpretation of Scripture, our understanding of who God is, who's the same when, yesterday, today, and forever. So if you have a God that's different in the Old Testament than a God that's different in the New Testament, probably you got yourself two idols you're worshiping there, okay? So this is the same God operating at different times, doing different things, pointing all to the work of the gospel and and the Holy Spirit. So in Hebrews 11, the faith chapter, we read, by faith, all these Old Testament guys were saved. And it'll even say, by faith, I think it says, by faith, Moses, counting the, what is, of Christ, the reproaches of Christ of greater value than the riches of Egypt. It's like, he didn't know the name Christ. Well, he knew about Messiah, and he knew these things, Moses 
and all your Old Testament believers had faith in God, and that faith that God had was imaged and symbolized and given to them with all these in all these different ways and times and manners, pointing forward to the cross of Jesus Christ on the cross. Not one person, Old Testament, New Testament, will ever go to heaven without the blood of Christ applied to them. Old Testament, looking forward to the cross. New Testament, looking back to the cross. We have a, a fuller revelation. We have the Holy Spirit given in, in greater extent. We're knit together by the Spirit rather than an external law. So lots of things happening. And then at the end here, we see this is spiritual warfare. This is something that appears to be happening towards the end of time as we get more and more. We're living in the last days when you read the scripture and it's talking about the last days. We're in it from the time of Jesus' death, resurrection, ascension to this, his final coming. This is the last days, as it's called in the New Testament. But there's going to be a last, last day. There will be a final day. There will be the great day of the Lord where there will be an end put to all sin, unrighteousness, and the spiritual forces of evil. So that you have, we've seen in Revelation, how, was, how does that look? Well, the harlot Babylon, which was these great cities of commerce and all these things that have been judged. And now we come to this chapter where we're seeing the judgment of what they're calling the beast and the false prophet. And so, if nothing else, <laughs> what you get from this is We've now getting to the end here, so if you're ever telling anybody about the book of Revelation um, and you want to spoil it for them, the ending is Jesus wins. He defeats all of his and our enemies. That's, that's the big story. That's the emphasis. Lots of persecution. Lots of problems are happening, particularly these churches in Rome that are going through terrible things. Churches in the world today, Christians in the world today, more Christians still being martyred today than was ever happening in the past. We only hear about it. You don't see it a whole lot. Sometimes you do, but it's happening. And so we pray for them. And the message for them is the gospel is powerful. The gospel will win. One day, all these things will set right, and we will be with him in glory. New heavens and new earth. And we're going to work a little bit through um, eventually, well, what do we, what's the afterlife? Yeah, you go to heaven. Kind of. You know, it's like, what do you mean kind of? You don't go to heaven? Well, you know, there's going to be a new heavens and a new earth. Like right now, you, today you'll be with me in paradise. You die, you go to heaven, you're with Christ, you're with the saints. In, in a, um, a, a spiritual, your, your, your soul is separate from your body, but, and we don't know exactly all the things that it's like, but you, you basically understand who you are, where you are, and, and you're able to be with Christ. And it's perfect and it's wonderful. But there's going to be a day of consummation of all things when everybody together, and this is what we're going to see in these coming chapters, is this great glorification. And the earth itself, in the way that we will be glorified, it's like somehow we're reunited our bodies with a glorified body, the same thing with the, with the earth. Okay, the earth will be glorified. Better than Eden. This is... Um, a glorification of even Eden, so that we get to participate in some way in this great glorious future in a, a place where righteousness dwells. Every tear is wiped from every eye. There is nothing but glory and goodness. And the Bible says it has not even entered into the mind of man the things that await us. The, the sufferings of this present time, which can be horrific, are not worth even comparing to the glory that awaits us. So Revelation, a lot of what Revelation is doing is saying, hang on. 
Don't get so focused on the trials and sufferings of this world like Peter walking down the water and he sees the storm all of a sudden. He realizes he's walking on water, starts to sink. Jesus, you know, you have a little faith. Why would you doubt? That's who he wants us to be out there in the storm. You recognize the storm. You recognize this is rough. Peter jumped out of the boat not because of like, oh, look at this. I think he can walk on the water. I can walk on the water. I can do this. Come on, church. That wasn't what he did. He jumped out of the boat because the boat was sinking and he saw Jesus and he wasn't thinking. He just ran to him. And then all of a sudden he's like, what am I doing? And you know, that's the way faith works. Man, sometimes it's like you just run to Christ and you just, because you had to, you need to so bad. And then all of a sudden, the cares of this life, the strife, the things that are happening, you start to look around. And it's from the parable of the sower. Sometimes those difficulties begin to choke out a person's faith. And, and the Bible can even say sometimes the second state's worse than the first. It's like, you know, you're, you're going along, things are terrible, you find Christ. Then all of a sudden things happen and you're like, you know, I'm abandoning my faith. Gosh, now you don't even have that. So it's clinging to him. It's having him within us. It's having uh, the word of God to get us through trials and troubles. Having a church that also encourages one another all the more as we see the day approaching. A church that uh, calls each other to repentance when it's needed. Done so in love. There's all these things are set up to get us through difficult trials of life. And that does not mean that what the church is, is blessing and showers and gold and jewels and nothing. It means when you go through the trials that you will go through, he's with you. And there's ways that he will show you that. And the way God works is, it's not just something, sometimes it's just this osmosis, you're kind of out in the sun and you, you get vitamin D, but sometimes he tells you, you know, you can get vitamin D out of this other place, you know, you can... I just came up with that analogy. Rick came into my mind and vitamin D started thinking. So it's just, you know, he tells you where to go. Dr. Kelly, and I've told you this before, he has said um, the Spirit blows where he will. The Holy Spirit blows as, as he will. But he, in his word, has told us where some of the windy places are. So if you want more of God, he tells us where to go. This is one of the places. The Lord's Supper is one of the things. Baptism is one of the things. The Word of God, one of the things. The preaching of the Word, one of the things. Prayer, one of the things. The communion of saints, us, one of the things. That's how God says, you want more of me? Do this. And then the cool thing is recognizing the work of the Holy Spirit, getting us to even do it. And that's from the grace of God. And what we see here in this scripture is, you're talking warfare. You're not talking I don't know, some song we could sing that's just about, you know. I don't know that the word showers a blessing. I kind of came up with a phrase a minute ago, and I don't remember that hymn. I don't remember the words of it. Maybe it's a great one. <laughs> I just can't remember the words. But if that's all we think, well, I take that back. In the church, there's nothing but showers of blessing. Now the question is, how do you define blessing? That's the question. Is it riches? Is it health? You know, I mean, okay, here's your health without Christ. Is that what you want? Here's your money without Christ. So, as Paul said, I would rather have, you know, don't leave me to poverty or to riches, as they call it. You're going to run into fake news of Satan, which is the things the church is calling sin, that's not sin anymore. 
you know, wake up, church. You're living in the, you're in the past. You know, we've got, we've come a long way, baby. Um, we have all sorts of movements. We've had all sorts of awakenings. We've had all sorts of beastly false prophets, revivals, and awakenings that have been preached in our culture, and our world is worshiping at the foot of the beast. And if you stand up and you say, um, I don't think maybe we ought to do that. Smack! And then you want to get out there and proclaim it loudly. You will. The Chinese proverb I love is the nail that sticks out is struck by the hammer. So you had to be careful because the more we proclaim the truths, and don't just because you're being persecuted for professing truth doesn't mean you're you're professing the Christ of the Bible. It could be you're just being a jerk. So you got to be careful about that kind of thing. A lot of people think they're doing good when everybody hates them. Sometimes people hate you because you're hateful. So you got to be careful with that. You have to be loving in our profession of truth. So if you can't preach to somebody the gospel without it being enjoined with tears of remorse for the sin you see and love for the person you're sharing it with, you, you, you may even be better off just not doing it. Because even the Bible says if we come to the Lord's table and we are, have problems within interpersonally, it's not even the Lord's Supper we're participating in. Which means, if you're sitting here and you have lots of interpersonal problems with people and you have enemies and you just got filled with hate when you're hearing the gospel, you may not even be hearing the gospel because all you're doing is applying it in a way that it can go against your brothers and your sisters and against your enemies. And we're called to love our enemies. And that's a difficult thing to be able to do when your enemy has you you know, beating you with whips or something, you know, or they're torturing you. How do you love that kind of enemy? So, that's what we're called to. So the one sitting on this white horse is faithful and true, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. It's good that he judges in righteousness, um, but not good if you're not completely righteous. So bad news for the world, good news for the believer. We're hidden in Christ. We've been given his righteousness. So when he judges, he judges in righteousness. We get to verse 12. His eyes are a flame of fire. It's his judgment. It's also he can see everything on his head or diadems, and we've talked about a lot of this last week. He has a name written that no one knows but himself. He, he is clothed in a robe dipped with blood. He's, he's, this is the work of God in the world, and it, it's a battle, and it's bloody, and it's, it, it, it is something that he is running out ahead of us on his white horse, and he is doing, um, and the name by which he is called is the word of God. And the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, following him. That's the church, following him on white horses, and he's out there, what? Word of God. And we're preaching the word of God too, but we're following Christ. And from his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh he has name written, King of kings, Lord of lords. So this is judgment on the wicked nations, the wicked peoples. And what the church is doing is actually calling people to repentance and faith. And as we're calling people to this, what's happening is the enemies of God get more riled up, but we're also winning people to Christ. God has his people, and faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of Christ. So this spiritual warfare has sometimes been referred to in the church as the church militant. Um, there's another phrase called the church spring, which is also happening at times. It's not always in this church age. And then the church triumphant is in heaven, and in new heavens and new earth, we have these things. But we don't want to talk too much about church militant, because that kind of sounds a little militant. But in the spiritual sense, 
That's what we're doing. Spiritual warfare. Spiritual warfare isn't just the sins that's being your temptations and your sin, your personal struggles with faith and temptation and the world, but the work of the church in the world is also spiritual warfare. And the question we have to ask is, how are we doing? And if you just look at the work of the church, we don't do well at all. But Christ is out there working and doing things. And all through the book of Revelation, we see he even uses viruses. He even uses illnesses. He uses wars. He uses all these terrible things, one, to judge a wicked world, and two, to call people to hear the trumpet calls of God, turn to him, follow him, recognize the fact that the time is short, but the gospel is strong and powerful, and it's not so that we can huddle up inside a place where we are protected from the outside, but it's time to get out there in this place and preach the word of God, come what may. It means we are so, look at the virus, what it did to people. Man, how scared are people of dying or getting sick and suffering? It has been a magnificent use by the enemy to constantly put people in this fear and trauma mode where they're willing to listen to anything. And I'm not saying everything that was said and every response was evil, but my goodness, if you had, <laughs> if, if, it, if you couldn't see the spiritual darkness and the, the, uh, the beast, the false prophet, the dragon at work in the midst, and not just through death, but through fear and intimidation, and fake news, and unknowing things, and churches being attacked specifically for wanting to gather together. It's like, in the future, if it's not a virus, we always thought it's going to be um, physical armies, or a sword, and people are going to say, don't gather together, because we'll kill you if you do, or we'll take away your livelihood, or we'll do this. It's like, eh, could be done a little bit differently, which it was. We got through it so far. The question is, you know, what you have to see is Christ is building his church in the midst of all this, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. We have to become more militant in the midst of these things, which means when the world tells you, shh, you have to say, I'm going to evangelize even more. I'm going to go harder. I'm going to do it more. And what you're going to do is you're going to have a lot of pushback. The gospel always has pushback. If the gospel hasn't been having pushback for a long time, it's because we haven't been doing it right. The gospel is going to have pushback. But it's only going to get pushback from people who sincerely believe it, who sincerely believe the word of God, who are sincerely, sincerely filled with the Holy Spirit and follow the word of God wherever he may lead. You can't do it by yourself. You're going to have to do it together with each other. And it's going to be hard. But Jesus goes before us. And he's got a bloody robe on. 2 Corinthians 10.4 says, The weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power. That means they have godly power. The weapons of our warfare have the power of God. Bless you. And what's it have the power of God to do? To destroy strongholds. It's a stronghold. It's like a big old fortress. Our weapons destroy these satanic fortresses. And they're up. They're up around a lot of people. A lot of Christians have little satanic fortresses put around them so for protection from whatever it is they're trying to protect that God's going to say, we're going to knock that down. But the way it gets knocked down is through the word of God and prayer. Divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy, and it kind of explains a little bit what these strongholds are. 
things that have you, things that have like got you trapped, you can't go forward, destroy arguments, and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God, and take every thought captive to obey Christ. Take every thought captive. That's military language. That's warfare. So we might think, you know, these bad guys, we need to watch out for them. We need to do this. It's like, you got your own flesh. is world, flesh, Satan. Those are three big enemies. And here what we're looking at is the world and the flesh. But you got, I mean, the world and Satan. But you got your flesh. And this is why Revelation is written, so that the flesh can be put to death and we can learn to walk in the Spirit and not the flesh. So that what's happening is here, your thoughts have to be captured <laughs> to obey Christ. Now, that's not talking about works where I've got to, what's the law say? No, 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 Jesus Christ. Satan wants you to believe and your flesh wants you to think this way. And you've got to be able to go, I'm going to take those thoughts captive. And I'm, it means you've got to be Christocentric in your thought patterns. You have to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You have to be, uh, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of Christ. And it doesn't just mean initial faith. It means continued faith. This ongoing spiritual battle that's taking place. And there's two important things to note. Verse 13, his name is called by the word of God. Verse 15, from his mouth is a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. And this is a picture of what's happening when Christ is preached in the world. We don't make up the message following cleverly designed schemes. We follow Christ. He is building his church. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. And his church is, and he is called the word of God. And it's important that we know who he is and how the battle is waged. First, who he is as the word of God. So let's go a couple places. John 1, the gospel of John. We're in the revelation to John. But John chapter 1, most people could probably quote these verses, but listen to it again and thinking about who Christ is, this word of God. In the beginning was the word. Now, this is... In the beginning, it takes you back to Genesis 1. In the beginning, God. Now we're saying Jesus is God here. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And here's Jesus coming out. His name is the Word of God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him. And without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And it never will. He made the world. All things were made through him. Now, Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. I get a little closer towards Revelation to find Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. All things were made through Jesus. Without him was not anything made that was made. Hebrews 1, chapter 3. I'm sorry. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3 says, Jesus, he, Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. He not only created by his word, he upholds the universe, and I love the way it's not, it's not saying by the power of his word, it's the word of his power. So we know that God spoke all things into existence, but he's also holding all things, and then we know also that 
in Romans, all things are working together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purposes. God is in control. God is in control of everything that's happening, and it's all working for his purposes and for his glory and for the good of the church. And then Ephesians 6, 17. All these letters of Paul are grouped together. Ephesians 6, 17 says, this is in the passage on the armor of God. Very many people are familiar with this as well. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is what? The Word of God. So when we're talking about the Word of God coming from Jesus Christ's mouth as a sword, we can take and yield that sword. It's the only offensive and defensive weapon in the, in the Spirit. It's the Word of God. It's the Bible. That's the weapon of our warfare is the Bible. If you're going out there and you're telling people things about God that doesn't conform to Scripture for whatever reason, because you've seen it in the Holy Spirit gave you direct revelation, or you've seen something in, um, in nature, if it doesn't conform with the word of God, then you are taking his name in vain. And the Lord will not hold him guilty who takes his name in vain. Thank God that we're covered in Christ so that we aren't held accountable for every time we've taken the name of Jesus in vain. Not meaning just as a cuss word, which is terrible, but saying Jesus says this or God says that. And he didn't say that. I didn't tell you to say that. Where are you going? You're doing that in vanity. Don't let that stop you from talking about God and sharing the gospel. But what it should do is drive you more and more into his word because his word is what has power, not your words about him that he, God uses our most feeble efforts in glorious ways. And Sinclair Ferguson has said that the Holy Spirit is the surgeon. We give him the instruments. And sometimes we give him very the wrong one or the uh, something that's rusted and dull and he can even take those and use them for his purposes so it's just our job to give him Sinclair Ferguson said it's our job to give the Holy Spirit the cleanest tools possible and all he means by that is we don't just haphazardly um, carelessly talk about the gospel and God and things like this because we know the Holy Spirit will take care of it and God's gonna do what he's gonna do it's like that's not what we're called to do. You're called to study yourself to make yourself a student of God, to make yourself one you know, who is well-prepared in these things, one who doesn't twist scriptures to his own destruction, that we're called to know the Word of God well. And because it's for your good, and it's also the mission of the church to make disciples. And so you do that by knowing and living on the Word of God. Hebrews 4.12, we're going back there again. The Word of God. And Rob read from that this morning. The Word of God is living and active. This is the Bible, the Scripture. And not just the Scripture, but the Word of God. So this is the Holy Spirit working through the Word of God. It's living and it's active and it's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing the division of soul and spirit and joints and marrow and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Now this isn't just yours, but those of non-believers too. So this is why, imagine coming at some, have you, have you ever had a sharp sword? You ever had a child come at you with a sharp instrument? <laughs> you know, it's like, you know, somebody just coming at you with something like that. It's like, 
you know, you, you do what you can to stop that. And so you're coming at people with the word of God, the sharp two-edged sword. You can imagine how the world's going to be. You're coming at them with something sharp, and they don't want that. You're going to have to stop. And so that's where some of the persecution comes from and some of the, the desire of the world to make us look worse and worse so that they don't have to deal with it. But it does what it's going to do. It pierces the division of soul and spirit, joint and marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart, and no creature is hidden from his sight. We are all naked and exposed, like Adam and Eve in the garden, to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. So that can be a scary thing, too, because you're going to have to give an account. As a believer, we are very thankful that what happens is we're clothed in Christ. Uh, our sins removed from us. I don't think the accounting that we'll have to give to God is going to have to do with, uh, you know, you're going to have to pay for your sin or anything like that. But I think it will be, as we see in several parables, it's like, what did you do with the things I gave you? What did you do with your time? What did you do with your, uh, the gospel? What did you do with these talents I gave you? Did, you? did you use them for the glory of God or... You know, were you doing some really bad things? You know, what's the, somehow there's an accounting of these things. And what it seems to be in Scripture for the believer is a lot of things are just burnt up. Like, you know, you're a believer, and as with David, I'm happy just to be in the, 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 the gatekeeper in the house of God. I mean, getting to heaven is like, you're not going to be disappointed. You're not going to be like, you know, oh, man, I wish I did. You know, you're going to be completely, as Jonathan Edwards talks about, you'll be completely filled with the capacity that you have for joy and happiness. Like, you, if, if there was any, you ever been so completely overwhelmed by emotion that you're just like, I can't take any more, whether it's sadness or it's extreme happiness. It's just like, I'm as happy as I could possibly be, oh, my goodness. You know, it's going to be so much like that in heaven that it would be very easy to over, overwhelm any creature with, with more glory and majesty and contentment or whatever it is, because it's like you can't take but so much. Edwards suggests that the capacity for some people to experience more of that will be greater than others, but you'll all be completely filled to the, to the best of your ability. But apparently there is, you know, something in this life, your faith is holding an eternal weight of glory. And he suggests the same thing could be true in hell, that some people's capacity to understand the wrath of God may be greater than other people's. Not that for some people it won't be so bad, but that justice will be proportional to the sin. And because the sin is against a great and holy God, is called in the Bible a lake of fire. And this is what we're calling people to escape. Um, eternal judgment. And so if we love anybody, as we're called to, we should be sharing this gospel with them, the word of God, which is sharper than any two-edged sword. And Romans 10, 17 tells us, faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. So this is the primary instrument that God uses to call people to in faith, preaching, proclamation, the word of God, preaching Christ and him crucified and resurrected, seated at the right hand of God Almighty, Preach the gospel to yourself first. Get yourself um, in order. Get yourself involved in the church. Get the word out into the world. Follow Christ and his, on his white horse. And then that gospel that's given to us is that we are great sinners in need of a great Savior. And Jesus Christ is that great Savior. Crucified, died, buried, rose again from the dead. And if you believe on him alone for salvation... Nothing in my hands I bring simply to thy cross I cling, then you shall be saved. Those who call on the Lord shall be saved. And then, 
we see this last part that we're just going to look at just real quick here. The judgment side of the gospel. Beginning in verse 19, Revelation 19, 19. I saw the beast and the kings of the earth with their armies gathered to make war against him who was sitting on the horse and against his army. So these are the two opposing forces. Church and Satan's forces. And the beast was captured. And with it the false prophet who in its presence had done all the signs by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. So again, mark of the beast isn't something you can accidentally take. There are things that are seem to be marks of the beast, seem to be the way the beast works. You know, they talk about so you can't buy, sell, or trade, and they're certainly coming up with all sorts of ways. You see, in China, um, they do this thing where it was social credit scores, where if you haven't uh, done certain things, you don't have access to a certain amount of your money. So you know, I mean, they're talking about the possibility of going to a completely um, cashless society, I mean, you know, a cryptocurrency run by governments that they control completely, knowing everything you buy, everything you, I mean, you know, there's complete tracking, and then could say, we're going to cut you off, we're going to cut you off, we won't give you much, we won't let you go here once you get, once you sell that, and have all kinds of control. Now, to me, that's not saying this, that's what it's all pointing to. It's like, well, that's what the beast wants to do in some way. If the beast can't do it that way, if Satan can't control us using you know, technology, he'll do it in your mind. And that's the problem right here is your mind. Even back in Rome with the seven churches, they were telling them they already couldn't buy, sell, trade. They had cryptocurrency. They were just told, you're not participating in our economy if you don't worship these gods we're talking about worshiping. So they were pretty much cut off. I'm sure there were ways to get by and things, but not in the way that was best for them. But these two things in the end are thrown alive into the lake of fire that burns with sulfur. And then the rest were slain by the sword that came from the mouth of him who was sitting on the horse, and all the birds were gorged with their flesh, as we've seen as followers of Satan, those who are followers of self, those who are followers of the world, those who are not Christians, in the end will be judged, and all the systems will be judged. The powers, these satanic Demonic forces behind all these powers also will be put away. Because the world is seductive. That's the harlot. The world is powerful. That's the beast. with its government, military powers. And the world lies. That's the false prophet. Ideological lies, religious, false religious powers. And these were all finally defeated by Jesus and his gospel as they have done what? gathered to make war against him. So don't be surprised by the fiery trial that comes before you, but recognize this fiery trial for the believer is not you being cast into flames. It is for our growth. It is for the perfecting of our faith. It is so that we might learn how to get through difficulties as well as how to get through times of, of goodness. So, what we're supposed to be doing in the meantime is, you know, we went through the Experience in God Bible study years ago in a church, and there's some good principles in that thing. And one of them was, do the last thing you heard God tell you to do until he tells you to do something else. I thought, that's interesting. <laughs> you know, so, yeah. What's the last thing you told us to do? Make disciples, all nations. 
baptizing them in the name of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all I've commanded. So that's what we should be doing. That's the task of the church. Making disciples of all nations. Letting your good deeds shine. Giving glory to God that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Love one another, even your enemies. Encourage one another. Take every thought captive to obey Christ. Get serious about the word of God. Do all things to the glory of God. Wherever you eat, whatever you drink, all things to the glory of God. Taking every thought captive. Make sure you are in Christ. Are you truly a believer? Are you truly clinging to the cross? Do you hear these things and all you can think of is, I'm not good enough. I can't do it. Then it's like point taken. Yes, that's why you need the gospel. You're not good enough. Gives us the Lord's Supper. Not because here's your reward for doing so good. It's like, I know it's hard. You need me in this gospel that's being preached. You're getting Jesus Christ by the Holy Spirit. And that's what this represents. The need you have to feed on him. So don't neglect Christ and his word or the gospel for yourself. In closing, I'll just say the world seems powerful. It has a strong pull. And oftentimes things seem insurmountable. But the things and people and, and power rising against Christ and his church are defeated. And they have no hope, no true future. But you, believer, this world does not have you in that way. But we are living here and we are not home yet. But when his spirit is given to us as a deposit for the good things to come, we have church as a home in the wilderness, a mission to accomplish. Don't be distracted. Don't be seduced. Don't be disheartened. Don't give up. The good news for the believer is he is righteous. He perseveres us. He holds us fast. And he will never let us go. Never. And when we take the Lord's Supper in a moment, you will hear, he is with us. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your presence. It's warfare, open warfare. There are also times of peace and prosperity. It's not all, all the time, nothing but sorrow and depression and terribleness and everything. But sometimes as believers, as a church, we tend to think those things must indicate that we're not doing so good. Not the message of Job. It's not the message of the Bible anywhere. But that in this world, this cursed world in which we live, we shine and we'll draw attention to ourselves. But this world is not all there is. Help us to stay focused on glory, that we walk in the spirit and not the flesh, and we cling so closely to your gospel that when Satan tempts us to despair, as it would be easy for him to do, there's lots in all of our lives that somebody could look at doesn't even take much of a magnifying glass to point out how far short we fall from, the, from the, the call of the moral law of God. So that's why we are so thankful and we worship you. Because you don't treat us as our sin deserves. You treat us through faith as Christ deserves in us. So that you love us, you care for us, we're adopted in your family, you're our father, Jesus is our brother. We are kings. We rule. Help us to simply cling to the gospel, knowing that it is all by grace, it's all by your mercy, won for us through the work of Jesus Christ in this world and humble submission on the cross so that every knee would bow and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to your glory.
And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.